directing shots at Lou Holtz, it's kind of unnecessary. It's a little bit low-hanging fruit. But at the same time, like, his job is to appeal to the people of Ohio. Like, that, is, that is all he cares about. Hello, welcome to Always College Football. Today is Wednesday. It's September 27th, and we appreciate you being with us. We are getting close to the leaves turning, and we get some action coming up here in the college football world. We've had plenty of it up to this point. Four great weeks of college football with week five coming in just a couple days. We get an awesome one on Friday night, but you guys know what we do here on Wednesday editions of Always College Football. We're going to do the college football playoff and college football eliminator. We're going to group teams up. People say they're tiers. They're not really tiers because you can't really put a team in the first tier that hasn't played anybody. So we're going to group them by what they've accomplished and how they look with the eye test. So that nice, solid blend of resume and how you look doing it. It's kind of fun. It's unique, right? We don't need like metrics and strength of record and strength of schedule and strength of, of resume metrics and analytics. Like, no, I don't know. We're just, hey, here's who you, these teams look really good. They haven't beat anybody. These teams look really good. They've beaten one team that's okay. These teams look really good. They've passed one really big test. This team looks unbeatable. Like, we'll kind of put them as you see fit. So, the college football eliminator, where we eliminated 11 teams from last week. So, a lot to take into account. And as we move forward, we'll continue to do what we always do mailbag. We always appreciate your interaction on our social media, always CFB on both Instagram and Twitter. You can also follow me at Greg McElroy. We'll retweet our mailbag and we'll get to all the questions that are submitted once we send out that tweet on Monday afternoons. We got a bunch of them this week and a couple good ones that we want to address. We're going to talk about the fact that college football is turning into a soap opera and how coaches are outspoken and showing more personality than ever before. And I think it's good for the sport. You might think I'm crazy, but I'll explain why here in just a moment. And we'll play low-hanging fruit and finish up by doing three things that I love and three things that I hate. So let's not waste any additional time. Let's get to it. It's the college football eliminator. Let's get to week two of our college football playoff eliminator poll. It's really not really a playoff. It's kind of where we just group teams up based on how we kind of evaluate what you got, what you've done, resume. Are you alive? Are you kind of basically skating on thin ice? This is kind of just how we sort up teams. Some people do tiers. I, I don't really do tiers because you can't control who you've played to this point. For instance, like is Michigan a first-tier team? Probably. As far as personnel, probably. But they can't control the fact that they played three powder puffs to start the season and then started their conference play with Rutgers. It's not up to them. They don't get to lay out their schedule the way they want to lay their schedule. I know all of you already are going to push back. So, well, they could have scheduled this. Like, I, I understand that. But right now, based on what they can control at the moment, they have not had a chance to really test themselves against quality competition. That will be coming up here in no time whatsoever. But here's the groups as we see it right now. Group one are teams that we feel like are locks to the playoff. I still have Georgia as the only team in the locks category for the playoff, partly because I still look at the SEC East and I'm having a very difficult time figuring out who in the SEC East is going to surpass the Bulldogs. I think, I think Florida is improved. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that group might be capable of challenging the Georgia Bulldogs, but still, it's still a pretty dang big gap. The Georgia couple touchdown favorite this week on the road at Auburn. Maybe we find out a little more about the Bulldogs when they go into what should be a very hostile environment. They're the only team right now in the playoff lock category. All right, that's number one. Group number two, last week we had two teams. This week we have added a third. These are teams that at their very best they can beat anybody, and they have a really good win on their resume. So this is the next group, group two. Florida State and Texas were in it last week. They stay in it this week. Florida State, good win, obviously, on the road at Clemson. Didn't have their best stuff, but found a way to take advantage of the Clemson turnover and return that turnover to the house, and then found a way to win it in overtime because of a bad decision or two. Hey, Take it. It wasn't pretty, but dang, a win on the road against a team that won seven of the last eight ACC championship games. Take it and run. Don't look back whatsoever. Texas, what they did to Baylor should be illegal. It was that bad. Just saying. It was that bad. If you watch Baylor's offensive line against Texas's defensive line, 
put the women and children to bed before you put that game on. It's unsafe. It's unsafe for young, impressionable eyes. Okay, that was a beatdown of epic proportion. I'm starting to I'm starting to kind of get to the belief that Texas is as complete, as complete of a team as just about anybody in college football. And I now add Ohio State to the mix. Great win on the road. Didn't have their best stuff. Manufactured a couple big plays. Took advantage of some mistakes down the stretch. But hey, man, the team that makes the fewest mistakes often wins. And that team was Ohio State. It was a gutsy win. It was, a, I think, a massive win for Ryan Day. Look, the game didn't go the way they wanted it to go. In a perfect world, I think Ohio State wants to win games where they're manufacturing big plays. They're able to strike fast. It wasn't that way. They had to grind it out, and they found a way to win Notre Dame's way, which to me was even more impressive than if they had won the game, say, 42-31 or whatever the final score might have been. So it was a solid performance from Ohio State. They now join Group 2 as one of the top four teams in my eyes. Group 3. Last week, we had five teams in this category. This week, we have six. So a team that has now entered the mix here in group number three. These are teams that look great and have it passed at least one test. They've passed just one test. Now, you can evaluate tests all you want, but I view the wins that these teams have as solid tests, but maybe unspectacular tests. Either way, they're in group three with maybe a little bit more to prove as their competition down the road strengthens just a hair. Washington is in this category. Obviously crushed Michigan State, crushed Cal. I think Washington is a juggernaut. That's why I list them first amongst this contingent of teams. But they need to kind of step up the level of competition before we get a real indicator of what they could potentially be. Oregon is obviously in this category. You're going to say, well, hang on a second. They just beat the brakes off of Colorado. Yeah, but I, I'm not 100% sold on Colorado. So it was a good win, but they won and did what they were supposed to do. They beat a team that they were three touchdown favorites against convincingly. And it was dominant in the process. So they are now obviously in group number three. But as the competition strengthens just a hair here in a week or two, we'll find out more about what the Ducks could do on a national championship type of setting. Penn State is in this category. Continue to be dominant on the defensive side. My goodness gracious, alive. I know Iowa's not great. I know Illinois is not great, but West Virginia is. And Penn State took care of them in week one. And I don't want to say convincing fashion, but they took care of them pretty dang well. Obviously, West Virginia now three and one. So it's strengthening Penn State's resume as West Virginia continues to win. I also have Utah in this category. It was not pretty last week against UCLA. It was not pretty, but I think that's kind of how Utah likes it. Pick six early, couldn't do anything offensively, but that was against a good defense. But man, their defense just teeing off all day long, making Dante Moore look really uncomfortable. Miami continues to be in this group. Not going to learn anything from Temple, but they're in this group because they beat Texas A&M a couple weeks ago. And then Washington State, welcome to the Fold Cougars. You now have joined group number three. There's only 10 teams in groups one, two, and three. Washington State is one of them. They've looked really good in the process and they've passed at least one test, that test came last week against what I think is a very good Oregon State football team. Now, maybe not an Oregon State football team that is great right now on defense, but a group that's very solid along the line of scrimmage and the big plays that Cam Ward was able to manufacture, man, he's playing really well, really well. 19 to 20 in the first half by itself. I mean, give me a break. That's unconscious against a, a team that's pretty physical and, and difficult to match up against. Those are the top 10 teams right now in the groups that we have accordingly. Here's group four. Last week, I had six teams in this group. Now it's just three. These are teams that look great. They have the horses, but they haven't played anyone. Michigan, Oklahoma, and USC. I was really close to putting Oklahoma in group number three because I have an immense amount of respect for Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati is a good football team in the front seven defensively. Now, I think they have limitations offensively. I know that coming into the game, they had really good numbers as far as running the football, but I, I'm not convinced across the board that, that their weapons are elite. So I think it's a solid win. I wanted to make this. I really wanted to put Oklahoma into the next group. I just didn't feel like I could at the moment because I just don't know what I'm going to get with Cincinnati. You're going to say, hang on a second. Cincinnati lost Ohio a couple, uh, Miami, Ohio a couple weeks ago. I get that. But they also made mincemeat of Pitt. I know Pitt's not good, but still, that's why I think right now, just because it feels less controversial, I'm going to group Oklahoma alongside Michigan and USC as teams that are looking good, 
They have the horses, but they have not really passed a test yet up to this point. We're now through 13 teams and the remaining groups, group five are undefeated teams that I just don't think they have the personnel to really make a lot of noise at the tip top of college football. And a few of these will fall by the wayside likely this weekend, just like last weekend. We had 18 teams in group number five last weekend. 18. Now we're down to eight. So this group is dwindling, dwindling quickly, I might add. They're undefeated. They deserve credit. They've done a great job up to this point, but we're going to find out quickly whether or not they're for real as competition strengthens and whether or not... Because this group, by the way, maybe through four weeks in the season, this might have been where TCU was last year. In group number five, a team that's undefeated, but I don't know if they quite have the horses. Well, they've clearly proved they had the horses and got better and better and better winning close game after close game after close game throughout the 22 season. So if you're in this group right now, don't lose all hope. You can still continue to string things along and get better as the season goes and potentially move your way up into group four, three, two, or potentially one. Group number five right now in the ACC, I have four teams, Louisville, Duke, North Carolina, and Syracuse. We're obviously going to find out about Duke this week. They've they host Notre Dame. We're going to find out, I think, about Syracuse. They host Clemson. So there's going to be a lot that we'll learn about those two teams in particular. Louisville looks really good offensively. They get Notre Dame in a week. And then North Carolina, of course, their schedule will strengthen as well as they move forward a little bit. In the Big Ten, I have Maryland. Maryland is undefeated 4-0, but I'm not sure yet. We'll find out more on them down the road a bit. In the SEC, you get Kentucky, you get Missouri. Uh, Kentucky will obviously host Florida this week. This will be a find out game for Kentucky. And then Missouri just keeps plodding along, keeps plodding along. They'll get some opportunities though, because they're going to have LSU here in a couple of weeks. They're going to have some chances to make some noise as they get into conference play. And then in the big 12, it's Kansas, Kansas right now, top 25 offensively, top 25 defensively, but it's kind of BYU, by the way, I think is pretty good. I think BYU is pretty good. So that was a good win. Illinois, I'm not so sold on. They looked good against them. But they played Texas this week in Austin. So we're going to find out all we need to know about the Jayhawks here in a couple days. And then finally, group six. This group had four teams last week, five teams now. I've slid Notre Dame all the way down from group three, where they were a couple days ago. Now they're in group six with one loss, and they have to run the, the gauntlet the rest of the way because two losses might get them in. Maybe one loss obviously probably will, depending on what happens elsewhere. They looked good. I think a lot of people gained respect for Notre Dame, even though they lost last weekend. I know that's crazy, but in a roundabout wild world, Notre Dame probably deserves your respect. That's a good football team. They just came up a little bit short and had some self-inflicted mistakes that they can point to with why they came up short in the game. LSU looking more human last week against KJ Jefferson and company. This team continues to still be really up and down, really inconsistent. Jane Daniels in particular, they kind of go as he goes. If he plays great, they're tough to beat. If he plays average, they're very beatable. Alabama, I'm feeling a little better about Alabama than I did two weeks ago, partly because one, Alabama, I think we had questions about their offensive line, understandably so. But upon further review, I think Texas is ridiculously good along the defensive line. Like, ridiculously good. And Alabama, I mean, they, they held up okay. I mean, it wasn't great by any stretch. But that is a defensive line that is just absolutely unblockable and perhaps the deepest, most complete defensive front seven in the entire country. You can make that case. You really could. So I kind of feel better now. Hey, Alabama's not going to see a lot of defensive lines and front sevens like that. And then I looked at what the defense has done the last couple of weeks against both South Florida and against Ole Miss. They held Ole Miss way in check. And then South Florida, they held the three points. Granted, it was terrible weather. South Florida's quarterback last week, I don't know if you missed it, he went for 517 total yards of offense, and they scored 42 points in the process. So maybe South Florida is better than we thought. So I'm actually feeling a little better about Alabama today than I did two weeks ago. Clemson is now removed from this list. But... I don't have them in the one-loss category. They're still kind of in the mix, though. I have them looming. So I'm going to keep them in the group six for now because I still think, look, they've been their own worst enemy against Duke. They've been their own worst enemy against Florida State. If they don't have self-inflicted mistakes and they can clean it up and stop turning the ball over, they could find themselves back in the ACC championship game. And if there's carnage in the Pac-12, there's carnage in you know the Big Ten or the SEC, which is totally reasonable. Maybe Clemson backdoors their way into the playoff discussion. So I'm going to keep them hanging around for the minute, but 
The, the other team that I keep in this group would be Texas A&M. Texas A&M, a nice convincing win against Auburn. Lost their quarterback in the process. Doesn't look like he's going to be out for a long time. But either way, Texas A&M still, I think they're rock solid. They have really good personnel. But we're going to find out more about them a lot here against Arkansas and then obviously against BAM in the weeks to come. We've seen some entertaining personalities in college football over the years, right? I mean, there's been thousands of coaches that have come and gone, several of which have moved the needle, several of which have had memorable moments, whether it's in front of the microphone or whether it's things that are caught you know, behind closed doors in a pregame rhetoric, whether it's at SEC media days, the jabbing of other coaches in the room. We've seen them forever, and it dates back to, goodness gracious, Steve Spurrier and saying Free Shoes University, and it says you can't spell citrus without UT. I mean, we've seen outspoken coaches in the past. It's it's not new to the sport. Shoot, we even saw Coastal Carolina's coach bark like a dog in the middle of a press conference 20 years ago. I mean, this is not new. We've had this in college football. But there is another level to the vitriol and the anger and the emotion that the coaches have shown really in 2023 and partially even in 2022. I mean, there haven't been a ton of examples, but my goodness, in the last three or four weeks, it's like through the roof with the amount of coaches that are going out of their way to create some type of hysteria leading up to or when they're putting a bow on what was their most recent game. It's pretty remarkable, and it's actually quite awesome. WWE, WWF has long been very brash, very outspoken, very willing to just talk about their own personal domination, right? I mean, every time I hear and every time I think about guys just talking smack to the opposition, I think about, I mean, I'm, I'm 35. I think about NWO. I think about, uh, you know, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. I think about, you know, uh, you know, Scott Hall and, and, you know, just the NWO craze there at the end of the attitude era, the WWE. And I feel like we're living that right now in college football. It's kind of, it's kind of amazing when you really think about it because it used to be, Hey, we, we don't want to give any bulletin board material. We want to say nothing. We want to do nothing and we'll let our performance speak for us. <laughs> And now it just could not be more the opposite, man. It could not be more the opposite. Let me give you a timeline of events of the things that have gone down that have kind of led to this wild craziness in sport that we love so much. It really started, you know, I mean, it really started kind of throughout the summer. I mean, Deion Sanders kind of started it, you know, when he said, I'm, I'm bringing my luggage and it's Louie, right? That that was a big viral moment. And there were several others that happened throughout the Colorado offseason and then you get to the Colorado State game and you have Jay Norvell who decided to stoke the fire saying, when I speak to adults, you know, I, I take my sunglasses off. I take my hat off. And that obviously was a direct shot at Deion Sanders, who his team was getting to ready to play a couple days away. And it's like, well, hang on, you're, you're getting them fired. And then Deion Sanders goes and speaks to his team and says, hey, now it's personal. Now it's personal, right? He took a shot at me. Now it's personal. It's like, you just fanned the flames. <laughs> and let's be honest. Let's give and, and tip our cap just for a moment to how hard Jay Norvell teams played that night. I mean, they played great and lost the game in overtime. And it was a highly entertaining game. And as a result, 9 million people watched it. Probably because of all the pregame festivities that led to the chaos that was that game. And then the following week, you have Oregon getting ready to take on Colorado. And in the offseason, Dan Lanning, when Colorado decided to leave the Pac-12 to join the Big 12, Dan Lanning famously said, well, they never did anything of significance in the Pac-12. Well, that, that got things going a little bit in the preseason. And then fast forward to game time, and the Colorado players, one in particular, was very outspoken in the pregame with some of the verbal taunts that were being directed in the direction of Dan Lanning's Oregon football team. 
Guys, I, I know not everybody that's listening to this has been on a football field. Not everybody that's that's listening to this has has been there on the field in pregame or anything like this. What Shiloh Sanders said is literally par for the course. It is not abnormal. It's not unusual. That's mild. Like that's child's play compared to some of the stuff people used to hurl at us leading up to game time. It wasn't a big deal. I mean, guess what? We're firing right back. You think some of my teammates, we're going to stop them from saying things to the other team? We, yeah, people chat, of course. Like you, when you watch the program and the, the linebacker, I, I'm blanking on his name. When he walks up into, you know, into the line and he's yelling across at the quarterback, say, you know, I'm going to peel your gap, whatever it was, right? Like, we, like I remember the, the moment. I remember the, the, the movie, like the back of my hand. Some of the things he said across the line of scrimmage, I won't repeat because it's a family platform. But it's not that uncommon. Like the battlefield, it's kind of, you're kind of a schizophrenic person by nature. Like when you walk between the white lines, like things go a little crazy, right? But what Chilo Sanders said is not uncommon. And let's fast forward to the pregame speech. Here's Dan Lanning speaking to his team in the locker room before they're getting ready to take the field against Colorado. Rooted in substance, not flash, rooted in substance. Today, we talk with our pads. You talk with your helmet! Right? Every moment. The Cinderella story is over, man. Right? They're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. There's a difference. Right? There's a difference. Right? This game ain't going to be played in Hollywood. It's going to be played on the grass. Right? It's going to be played on the grass. Let's go. Now, a lot of people have have kind of drawn conclusions. Like Dan Lanning was taking a shot at Colorado and... Dan Lanning has one goal, one goal when he steps on to that platform to speak to his team before they run out of the tunnel and play the game. He needs to reach every single person in that locker room to get them to play with maximum effort. Like that's his goal. Every coach's goal is to get his team to play as hard as humanly possible. Of course, you want them to execute. You want to do all these other things too, naturally. I mean, that goes without saying, but he doesn't care at that point. It's not to take a shot at Colorado. Colorado heard that because Oregon put it out and, and it went viral because cameras caught it and it was on every pregame show and every halftime and everything, everything else. But Dan Lanning goal accomplished. Like he got his team to play with a tremendous amount of urgency and whether it's for clicks or for wins, it's like, who cares? I mean, he got his team to play hard. It's not some inadvertent shot. And then, at halftime, he visited with Katie George, uh, who was phenomenal, I think, both pre- and post-game and at halftime as well. She's always awesome. Love Katie. But she, they're sitting there, and he's like, and we're not done yet. There's so many co- – like, play for 60 minutes. Like, that's 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 the mantra. When he walked in the locker room, I would imagine he told his players, hey, we play for 60 minutes. Like, yeah, it's only halftime. we got 30 more. Let's go. We're going to go play just as hard in the final 30 as we did the first 30. That's pretty standard. It wasn't a big deal at all. It really wasn't a big deal, but people made it into like this huge thing. And then we fast forward to the night game. <laughs> Ryan Day and speaking to the NBC Sports sideline reporter, here's what he had to say about some of the comments that were made earlier in the week by a famous Notre Dame head coach and universally beloved figure in Lou Holtz. You know, I'm really upset and disrespected by what Lou Holtz said publicly about our team and Ohio State and Buckeye Nation. And we're not going to stand for that. That's not even close to true. We had one bad half a couple years ago up in Ann Arbor. We did the second half. But we, we, every game we play, in, we're physical. We are. I don't know where that narrative comes from. Excuse me, I misspoke. It's from the press conference. We can't use the NBC Sports feed. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, what Ryan Day is doing there is... He's not. He, he's, he doesn't necessarily care about taking shots at Lou Holtz. He's not. He doesn't care. That doesn't do him any good. If anything, I, I didn't think that. I mean, directing shots at Lou Holtz. It's kind of unnecessary. It's a little bit low hanging fruit. But at the same time, like his job is to appeal to the people of Ohio. Like that is that is all he cares about. Like right now, he's he's come under some heat after the most recent performances against Michigan. 
and the performance against Georgia last year and and how they've come up short against Alabama in the national championship game. Like he's come under some heat. So when he says Ohio against the world, that's a rallying cry for his own team. It's his rallying cry for his own fan base. Like he doesn't have an obligation to everybody else to be, oh, well, this is we're presidential and this is how we're going to handle ourselves. No, it's it's a call to arms. And for the record, <laughs> I love Ryan Day. You guys know that. I think everybody, I hope everybody knows that. I think he's a great coach. And just because you lost a couple games to Michigan doesn't mean you think your team's soft or you stink or whatever it is. Like you lost a couple games, it happens. I think Ryan Day's a really good coach. But since when has it ever been Ohio against the world? Because I'm pretty sure every year, doesn't matter what year it is, you can lose CJ Stroud. Ah, you know, put Buckeyes in the playoffs. <laughs> every preseason, Ohio State's in the top five. Like, if anything else, like Ohio State's always propped up, man. <laughs> and rightfully so. They have a good team. They have a good coach. And they got a, another special opportunity lying in front of them here this season to potentially chase a championship. Where I really believe if that field goal goes to the uprights last fall against Georgia in January or whenever it was, December, I really believe that Ohio State would be the reigning national champions. So I don't really blame Ryan Day for for reacting that way because it's a call to arms for his team and clearly he got his team to play really hard and took advantage of some mistakes down the stretch to get a win on the road. And then finally, Jake Dickert, who I actually applaud Jake Dickert because he's been dealt a really, really difficult hand at Washington State. Um, first of all, he was thrust into the head coaching job, uh, did an amazing job in the interim, got the job, uh, lost his OC, had to bring in his own OC. Uh, new OC, and they're having amazing success. But he's been dealt a pretty tricky hand too. Just given, I'm gu I guarantee you, every time he takes the takes the phone to to call a recruit, he's got to answer a question about, "Hey, what's the future of your program looking like?" And he can't answer it. So I I don't really blame him for being emotional and raw in the press conference after the fact, man. Because I'll tell you what, that's a proud group. That's a good football team. And I think that coach and Jake, and, and Jake Dicker deserves a, a lot of respect, man, because he's handling a very difficult situation with poise and class and he's got his team ready to play. I'll put a bow on it with this. We've been a little longer on this than I anticipated, but I'm passionate about it. It's, it's fun. Like we've seen forever in boxing. We've seen in boxing, people declare themselves the greatest. I'm the greatest of all time. It started with Muhammad Ali and then you, know, you saw it with Mike Tyson and you saw it with, uh, I mean, you've seen it with Floyd Money Mayweather. Like, I'm the greatest. Okay, <laughs> you know, I don't know who the greatest. I think probably Muhammad Ali. I don't. I don't know. I'm not a boxing guy. I, I watch it because I think it's fun and I think it's good competition. But if you scream that you're the greatest louder than everybody else, people start to believe you. We also saw something similar in the NFL in a probably you know mid 2015 14 in that range or so. Richard Sherman would constantly say, I'm, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest corner in the league. I'm the best corner in the league. He wasn't, but he said it loud enough to the point which people actually started to believe him. I mean, we've seen it with, at several positions. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. If you yell it louder than anybody else, you talk a lot, people start to believe you. So I, I don't really blame coaches for being outspoken because the society that we're at right now, if you're really loud and, and you are really confident, people will gravitate towards that confidence. So I don't blame them. They're selling their program and they're going toe to toe on the recruiting trail. And it's as hostile and as difficult to recruit as ever before with NIL and transfer and keeping your roster happy. And guys are recruiting players off of other rosters and there's bad blood and they coaches hate each other. And I don't blame them at all for showing some raw emotion. I think it's good for the sport too, because a real live soap opera is playing out, not just on Saturdays, but now we're getting some action Sunday to Friday as well. And I can totally get behind that. Moving along to our midweek mailbag, you can always participate in the midweek mailbag. I retweeted it a couple times, reposted it, whatever the heck we're calling it now. Uh, always CFB on our social media is probably the best way to submit a question. I'll retweet it too. If you follow me at Greg McElroy, you'll get the questions there as well. So we want to interact with you and feel like this is the best way to do it. Let's start with Ricky Tiki. Uh, do the rumors starting to pop up about Jim Harbaugh in contact with the San Diego Chargers have any validity? That First of all, we got to be careful. It's a dollar because uh, it's now the LA Chargers, and I still call them the San Diego Chargers, so you're not 
Ricky, you're, you're okay. Believe me as someone that's in the sports world, I still call him San Diego. So either way, uh, one, when it comes to Jim Harbaugh going to the NFL, I think there's always validity because Jim Harbaugh has seen his brother win a Super Bowl, and Jim Harbaugh was five yards away from potentially winning a Super Bowl. And it's not that he doesn't love his job at Michigan, but if the opportunity presents itself to go back to the NFL, I think there's always going to be validity. College football is a hard job. Portal, roster retention, roster development, NIL, it's hard. In the NFL, there's rules. Free agency, draft. NFL is a lot easier gig for a head coach. So, uh, And by the way, the Chargers, pretty good roster. Obviously, a legit big-time quarterback in Justin Herbert. So I think there's some validity there potentially, but there always is, I think, when it comes to Harbaugh. I think he likes to be wooed, and that's okay because he's still winning at a really high clip. Let's go to W-H-T-E, wit. That's what I'm going to say, wit, I guess. What you saw from Oregon State and how far can Washington State realistically go? Uh Oregon State, we're going to find out more about them this week. They play Utah. I think that's going to be a really, really interesting battle. I mean, you want to talk about a war in the trenches? Oh, my goodness. That game on Friday night is going to be awesome. So I will preview that one here on Thursday's edition. So hang around right right now for that, and we'll talk a little about where Oregon State's at. As far as Washington State's concerned, man, they have a quarterback playing like that. Right now, Cam Ward's playing as well and as efficiently as just about anybody in the country not named Michael Penix. Now you could say, well, what about Caleb Williams? Yeah, I, I understand. Caleb Williams playing great too. Like, I mean, those three guys have kind of elevated to the point, man, which they're kind of putting the rest of the field away just a little bit. So Cam Ward is the name that you probably don't know nationally. People just aren't real familiar with, with what he's done or his story, starting at Incarnate Word and then going last year to, to, to Washington State and having kind of an up and down year, some great moments, some average moments, but they now have altered the offense to really fit his skill set. And I think the sky's the limit for that young man. So I think they're going to go as far as their quarterback can take him. And if Cam Ward continues to play the way he's playing right now, there'll be a very difficult matchup for just about everybody else. Matt Craver, longtime listener, first time caller. Appreciate that. Good, solid radio phrase. Uh, if and when Syracuse beats Clemson on Saturday, what does it say about both programs? I'll hang up and listen. Hashtag go Q's. Hashtag Kubiak rules. Really? All right. Questionable judge of character, but I digress. Um, Matt, first of all, if Syracuse wins this weekend, it obviously we remember back to last year's game. It was kind of a close game. They wouldn't give Sean Tucker the ball. It was just a it was a weird game. Cade Klubnick came in and they drew the the late hit out of bounds. And the next thing you know, they were they were within you know, striking distance, but it was just uh, it was just kind of a herky-jerky game, and obviously the wheels came off for Syracuse from that point forward. But I think Syracuse is playing good football right now, but they're completely untested. I don't know what to expect. I think Clemson is still legit. Are they elite, crazy elite? No, I don't think they are. I think they're gettable, but you're going to have to win the turnover battle, and you're going to have to neutralize what is, I think, a ridiculously good defensive front. Really good. Really, really good. So if Syracuse can do that. I feel a whole lot better about their prospects, but it's going to be a tough one for sure. I think for Q's there in the dome, Brandon wants to know, will Texas and Oklahoma both be undefeated going into the red river rivalry? And why is Texas the better team? I actually saw some forecast, by the way, I don't know what the line's going to be next week in the red river game. Uh, red river rivalry, excuse me. Uh, and Oklahoma was a slight favorite in a couple of places, which I, w- I was surprised by. Just saying, I was surprised by that. But either way, uh, Texas a heavy favorite this weekend. And I, I think Oklahoma will handle their business as well. Either way, next week's going to be a massive game. Huge game. We'll obviously take some time before that one. I'm calling Texas and Kansas. So obviously, I'm not going to make a pick on that game. But I will preview it on Thursday's edition of Always College Football. Let's go next to... Uh, Renal Lemon fifty eight seventy six. I don't know, Greg. Why do you move around the helmets in the background? I'm so glad you asked this question because we have gotten so much heat on this for like forever. Um, people have been like leaving comments like, "Oh, you're you're a Bama homer, you're a USC homer, you're a Texas homer." It's like, dude, I have six helmets. That's it. We've requested helmets from Ohio State. We've requested helmets from Michigan. We've requested helmets from a bunch of different teams. A bunch. And we've been sent six. Uh, we, we're doing pretty good on views. I won't tell you all of our numbers, but we're doing pretty good. So I was kind of hoping I'd maybe get more. But my helmets are as follows. USC, uh, Kansas State, Kansas, Texas, Georgia, 
Uh, Florida State. Bama, obviously. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Is that six, seven? I also have a Florida helmet, but it's in my office at the radio station where we host Mac and Cube. So I can't bring that one home because if Cole sees I'm like taking helmets out of the office, he's going to freak out. So I have to kind of put that one in, like maybe put Georgia back and like kind of trade them out accordingly. So I only have a few helmets. I would totally be open to any sports information director at any school. If you guys want to send a helmet, I will 100% prominently display it in the background like I have so far. And you can usually tell, by the way, which game I'm doing because whoever's teams are playing, a la Kansas, Texas, those teams are probably displayed. I want them on your mind when you guys are thinking about what game you want to watch on Saturday. So you can watch me. Very self-serving. I get it. Let's go to Zach. Greg, great call for Florida State in Death Valley. Will, uh, with the Knowles going 4-0 in September and quality wins over both Clemson and LSU, what are the odds they go undefeated through the regular season? Who do you envision they have the most trouble going against? Well, I look at the schedule, and I think on the road is naturally going to be more difficult. The road schedule is very manageable. They go at Wake Forest, at Pitt, and then you go to Florida at the end of the year. You, of course, have Miami coming to you. You have Duke coming to you. You have Virginia Tech and Syracuse. Virginia Tech will not be a problem. They'll handle their business there without any issues whatsoever. Then they get Syracuse at home. It'll be a little tricky, I think, to manage Garrett Trader and stuff. Keep an eye on whether or not Aranda Gadsden's available, but I think they should be in good shape against the Orange. Duke at home should be a tough one. That'd be a good matchup. I think Duke's really good. We'll find out maybe a little bit more about them this week when they take on Notre Dame. Wake Forest on the road, not concerned about it. At Pitt, not concerned about it. Miami is the big one. That, I think, might be the toughest game on the schedule. You know I have a ton of respect for Miami. I love their quarterback. Uh, I think their offense and their defensive personality is really good. And then I think on the road at Florida will be a very difficult game. So the two difficult games are at the end of the season, and they book end North Alabama right in the middle. So be very careful at home against Miami and be very careful on the road when you head to the swamp. And then finally, Jared Owens, uh, can Texas or Oklahoma suffer a loss in the game, then went out and make the CFP? The answer is yes. We've seen it happen before. Oklahoma has lost to Texas in the Red River rivalry, only to make the playoff down the road. So it's very possible, especially with the round robin format that they've used in the past, but they're not doing that. But if Texas loses to Oklahoma and or vice versa, I think the likelihood of either team still, even a losing effort, getting back to the Big 12 championship is still pretty dang high. So you can avenge that loss and then obviously conference championships are weighted so they could certainly still make their way to the college football playoff. And then we have a special guest. This will be the Always College Football Kids Corner. We're going to do this as often as we get videos. But let's kick it off with our good friend Cohen Davis, who joined the show a couple of days ago with our first Kids Corner question. Hi, Greg. This is Cohen Davis from Waco, Texas. Can you explain to a kid what their transfer portal is and how it affects college football? Great question, Cohen. Transfer portal is huge. Big topic of conversation. We're not going to spend a ridiculous amount of time on it right now, but here's basically what it means. is that you, as a player in college football, can enter your name in the portal during certain windows. So there's, I believe, six weeks in January where you can enter your name in the in the portal. And I believe there's two weeks at the end of April, early May, where you can enter your name in the portal. Once you go in the portal, you are free to be recruited by other teams. Everyone handles it a little differently. If you enter the portal, you can potentially have your scholarship taken away. So they stop paying for your school. That's a possibility. And then other teams can potentially contact you. Some teams have used it a lot. Florida State has used it a lot. Obviously, Colorado has used it a lot. They added, I think, 56 players out of their 85 scholarships came by way of the portal. Florida State, I believe, has added, I think, 18 players the last couple of years or so in that vicinity. Uh, meanwhile, there's some teams that don't use it hardly at all. If you look at Clemson, they added one player in the portal this past year, and it was the third string quarterback, Paul Tyson. So some teams really rely on it. Other teams don't. And I think that it's it's something that can be beneficial to your team. But at the same time, I think it has also kind of leveled the playing field too, because a lot of guys really want to play. And if they're a backup on, let's say, Georgia, they might enter the portal so that they can go play at, say, Kentucky. We've seen that happen a lot of times. But 
once you do that process and you transfer that one time without penalty, you can play immediately at your second school. But if you try to transfer again, the NCAA has proven already, the NCAA, they're the, they're the, the bosses, if you will, the bad guys. They might not let you play at your next school. So you have to graduate and finish college finish your degree to be able to transfer again without penalty. So that's the portal, really, really short version, but we can expound on that for you down the road, Cohen, if if you really have more of an interest. We also like to play low-hanging fruit on our Wednesday edition of Always College Football. So Kuz, where are we going? All right, first one, pretty easy one for me. Ryan Day looked petty, calling out 86-year-old Lou Holtz for speaking publicly what people were saying privately, low-hanging fruit or truth? There's some truth because I think Lou Holtz is a universally respected figure in the sport. Uh, Everyone loves Lou Holtz, but unfortunately for Lou Holtz, he was a face on what was criticism, not just from, from other fan bases, but even from his own fan base. So while he directly attacked Lou Holtz, it was really, I think, more about he was the one person that he could kind of tie it to, but it was coming from everywhere. I mean, a lot of people were questioning Ohio State, including their own fans, including people that have watched them closely the last couple of years. So I don't blame him for being upset, especially given the way they won this past weekend. But I did think attacking Lou Holtz was a little unnecessary because Lou Holtz certainly wasn't the only person that was drawing that conclusion about Ohio State the last couple of years. All right, moving on to the next one. Dabo Sweeney's reluctance to use the transfer portal quickly derailed what he spent years building. Low-hanging fruit or truth? The key word is derailed, and I, I don't think that they are totally derailed by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think his reluctance to use the portal has worked against them a little bit. Now, he does have some really talented freshmen. Khalil Barnes is an excellent nickel. TJ Parker, I think, has a chance as a defensive end to be an elite player down the road. Uh, They have a couple other freshmen that they're really excited about, both offensively and defensively. I mean, Tyler Brown at wide receiver, another true freshman that's legit. So they have a really good true freshman class, and maybe those guys wouldn't be getting a lot of time had he gone to the portal. But then again, I feel like if you're not using the portal, then you're kind of tying one arm behind your back because you can get immediate reinforcements with physically mature dudes. And I'm not saying you have to live and die by the portal by any stretch of the imagination, but just to fortify positions on your roster, it'd be beneficial. For instance, let's just look at Clemson, their roster right now. Like I think they're good at quarterback, even though Cade, you know, Cade's in growing pains. I think they're pretty good along the offensive line. Not bad, um, especially on the interior, but I think their wide receivers are pretty average by their standards. So What if Keon Coleman, for example, the guy that caught the game-winning touchdown against them last week, what if Keon Coleman was playing for Clemson? Would that be a pretty significant impact position for the Tigers? Yeah, I think it would. So uh, I don't think they're totally derailed, but I think Dabo Sweeney should strongly consider adopting the portal at some point, knowing because other teams are getting stronger, whereas they're kind of staying the same. And that's, I think going to become a little bit more difficult to sustain as they get further and further removed from winning national championships. All right, next one. Texas Tech is the biggest disappointment early this season. Low-hanging fruit or truth? It'd be hard to push back. I mean, starting with week one, I mean, we all had high hopes for Tech this year. I know I had them. Uh, I was real bullish on what the Red Raiders could do. I thought they could beat Oregon, but they obviously should have beaten Wyoming. So yeah, I mean, it, it'd be hard to push back on that. There are a few others that that kind of come to mind this year with, with teams that maybe haven't performed up to par. Baylor would be a remarkably disappointing performance up to this point. They're one and three. That's been, I think, really disappointing. Um you know, Oklahoma State at two and two, losing the way they've lost a couple times has been pretty disappointing. Uh, so those would kind of be the the small collection of Power Five teams that have really underachieved. I can't say I'm shocked with with what I've seen from from Virginia Tech or Virginia. Uh, they're kind of where I thought they might be. I thought they'd be a little better, but they're clearly not there just yet. So of the teams that I say would be quote the most disappointing, Baylor would be at the top of the list. Texas Tech would be at the top of the list. Uh, I think Pitt, to an extent, with how they've performed probably at or near 
the top of the list and probably Oklahoma State would be kind of the the group, the small group that I've been disappointed with so far this year. All right, and last one here. Colorado will finish with five wins and miss a bowl game. Low-hanging fruit or truth? Low-hanging fruit, and I was looking at their schedule. I think the likelihood of them getting to six is extremely high. Um, now, is it uh, a guarantee? Probably not, not with what was exposed last weekend. But when you look at the schedule, okay, I think they can get Stanford at home for sure. I think they can go on the road to Arizona State and get that one. They get one gets into five. So can they get Arizona at home? Uh, I think that's definitely a possibility. I, mean, I think Arizona's pretty good, solid football team. But that's one that I think Colorado should probably win, especially at home. So I think they get to six, and I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled off at least one upset, which ultimately gets them to seven. Finally, another Wednesday staple for us here. What I love, what I hate from this past week or this upcoming week in college football. What I love is that Oregon and Colorado eclipsed the 10 million viewer mark. And the game was 35-0 at half, man. People were sticking around for that game, partly because there's a real polarizing effect that is Colorado. But man, we are drawing people to the sport that have never consumed college football before. It is awesome. I love, I hope they continue to drive ratings through the roof. And I hope that people continue to watch our sport. Cause I think, I, at least I feel pretty good about this. I think the longer you kind of stick around and watch them, we're going to fall in love with it because this is the greatest sport in the world. So I don't need to tell any of you guys that. I think all of you guys that are listening to this show are probably on board. I love that we have an incredible game to look forward to on Friday night this week. I love that Utah and Oregon State are going to kick it off in what should be an absolute slogger, slobber knocker, man. <laughs> this game is a double chin strap, double mouthpiece game. We will break it down on Thursday's edition of Always College Football. But my goodness, this is going to be a war on Friday night. I'm already planning. Yeah, I know that sleep is going to be at a premium this weekend. Just going to sacrifice it in advance. Don't care. I'm staying up for every single second of that game on Friday night. And I also love too, that all the national championship contenders right now, and this is something maybe we can dive into a week from now. And we kind of put a bow on the first month of the season, but all the championship contenders, there's a legitimate question mark for just about all of them. I mean, is there a team right now that you look at in college football and say, you know what? They're flawless. I think they're perfect. They're beating everybody's brains in every single time they take the field. Like, okay, I think I think Georgia, for example, is excellent. They're an amazing football team. But I, I think their best football is in front of them. I really do. I mean, I think they're going to get a little better and a little better. And some of the young guys that you see starting to emerge on defense are going to be stars once we fast forward down the road a little bit. But they're still, I think, in some ways, a bit of a work in progress in some areas. You know, maybe trying to be a little more consistent running the football. You know, things like that. So I love right now that it's not like we've already drawn conclusions like usually it's like, well, those four teams are the best four teams. It's not even close. Not this year, man. I mean, this thing's 10, 12, 14 teams deep where it's like any given week, anything can happen. So that's really exciting. I think knowing that there are some uncertainties around the sport right now. And I absolutely love it. Here's what I hate. I hate that brand bias still exists. And look, I, I know that that networks perpetuate it and fan bases perpetuate it. And we've seen it starting to change a little bit starting to shift a little bit with what we've seen from the Washington Huskies, using that as an example. Uh, I think Washington State, too, if, if you want to include them in this conversation. If Washington State were playing the way they're playing and got a win against a ranked team the way they got a win against a ranked team last week, and their name was, say, USC, they'd be in the top five. Simple as that. Uh, if their name was Notre Dame, they'd be in the top five. If their name was even Texas, they'd be in the top five, I feel like. But because they're Washington State, it's like, yeah, you know what? We need to see it to believe it. Like, man, you can just you can just give props. You know, like we can adjust accordingly. Like that team's playing their tail off right now. They deserve to be rewarded. And then let's go forward to Washington. I mean, Washington is blowing the doors off of everybody. And you got to kind of watch the game. I know last week was a late game. So maybe not everybody got to take it all in. But when the best player, arguably, in the entire country, Michael Penix, doesn't take the field until they're up 14 nothing, and then proceeds to absolutely obliterate a Cal team that just a couple weeks earlier held Auburn. I know Auburn's not great, but they held Auburn to 14 points. I mean, Cal is no not chopped liver by any stretch of the imagination. Well, they looked like it against Washington. And if Washington were, you know, Oregon, I think people might feel differently about them. Maybe. I don't know. 
It just, to me, that team and brand bias is still very much a factor as we evaluate teams. I just want it to go away. It never will. That's part of college football. I get it. People draw conclusions about your program, like over the course of the last 30 years, and you kind of are what you are until you're not because you beat some really good teams, kind of force your way into the conversation. But it is what it is, and we're trying to battle it here on Always College Football. I hate that Notre Dame had 10 men on the field in the final two snaps. Not because they lost. That, that I, I don't care if they win, lose, draw. It is what it is. But I want to see if I'm Ohio State, for instance. Like if I want, I want to play a team at their best. You know, now everyone can kind of point to it and say, well, you know, Notre Dame and everyone's taking shots at Marcus Freeman. And everyone, like, everyone's like not even sold on Ohio State. And it's like, I just wish they would have had 11 guys on the field the last two snaps. And then, hey, it's good against good. And Chip Trainum, with, they, had, they didn't have the defensive end. If you're looking at the play at the top of the screen, the defensive end wasn't there. Well, that's exactly where Chip Trainum ran. He ran right into the end zone. Still almost barely got stopped. Well, what if that D-line was there? Would, would it have been the same result? I don't know. I just, I hate that that, kind of clouds the judgment on how that game actually ended. And I don't like that we're talking about that. I want to give credit to Ohio State for winning the game. I want to figure out how Notre Dame can get better and not be critical all the time of what went down with the coaching substitution issues that Notre Dame had down the stretch. And then finally, I hate that Tyler Shuck got hurt again. This poor guy, man. Third straight year since joining Texas Tech that Shuck will miss significant time because of an injury. He's a sixth-year senior. Uh, got hurt in the first quarter against West Virginia. It just makes me sick, man. Had the lower leg put in an air cast. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. Might end his year. Just bums me out, man. I just hate it when guys have the injury bug and they just can't quite get through it. And that happened again for Tyler Shuck. But we're thinking about you, man. Rest up, full recovery. Hopefully we can see you back on a college football field here in the very, very near future. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please continue to like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. We really appreciate you guys. All the support you guys have given us on social media, all the support that you guys continue to give us in our ratings and reviews, it means the world to us. So no, it does not go unnoticed. I appreciate you guys more than you will ever know. For all of us here at Always College Football, from Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.